Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe it doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? This is Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 23 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. 23 is my favorite number because I was a Michael Jordan um, aficionado growing up, we'll say. Um, hardcore fanboy of Michael Jordan growing up. I am here with Kyle Leff, so let's... Let's make sure that as we talk about the regular season finale against Pittsburgh, because it's episode 23, we have to make it the best episode ever, especially because Syracuse's opponent is the highest ranked team in the ACC at number 17 in the college football playoff rankings. See, we want to make the best episode it has ever been, but I don't think that's going to happen because of happiness. It's going to happen because of our rants, because for those who oh, we've know, got rants today, it is it is a, it is going to be a very rant filled episode. I think that is, as you said, for sure, especially with some non um, on the field discussion. It'll be very award driven, some would say. So I don't know about you, Mike. I am excited for this. I am excited to let my energy out. It's Thanksgiving and we all know what that means. Football and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. Bet online has you covered all holiday season, more props, odds, lines than ever before. For Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to our new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code BLEAVE. And it's not just football. Bet Online has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Absolutely. So um, I'll start with my kind of overarching um, thoughts on the game. I think uh, this is a game where you've kind of got a split fan base. You've got a fan base that wants Dino to be the guy and is looking at hopeful that they'll earn that sixth win. So it's not even really a discussion going into the offseason. And then you've got a group that um, doesn't have any confidence in Dino whatsoever and thinks that Syracuse needs to move on from him. And so I, I won't say that they're rooting against Syracuse in this game, but are going into it expecting them to lose and that that should be the last straw of the Dino Babers era. So it's kind of an interesting game from that standpoint. Um, but then you've got a night game, which I always think is cool uh, with some of the new lighting they've got in the dome. It's a rival regardless of what they're, you know, they're, ranking is it's still a rival of yours so that's kind of fun a lot of interesting things about this game um i'm kind of interested to see how it plays out yeah and i mean the dino thing we'll get to later um but i'm intrigued to see how this plays out especially with Pitt guaranteed a bowl game they're gonna get a big one if they can win this game they'll probably shoot up the standings they're currently 17th i guarantee you someone else is gonna lose Pitt also i believe is going to the acc uh title game um, so that will add to them later that if they can win this and then win that they're guaranteed to get a, probably they're looking at it. One of the top five or six bowl games, uh, if you're them. So if you win this game, you get a shot at a big bowl game. And that always looks better on a resume than the, uh, not to disregard it, but the bad boy, uh, Gasparillo bowl, I believe, uh, from a few <laughs> years ago has happened that it looks better than that. Uh, a Rose bowl sugar bowl obviously looks better. So they're bad boy mowers, that. bad boy mowers, who are also the sponsor for Battle for Atlantis. Which that is the only way basketball. I remembered that. That is why I remembered that is because they sponsor both. They sponsor the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Well, so I can tell you right now, that, if Syracuse does make a bowl game, there is one bowl game that I am going to be rooting for. It is the Fenway game. It is absolutely the Fenway game. And there are zero Syracuse fans other than myself and perhaps the one and only Brent Axe, who is also a big Red Sox fan, that are rooting for that. They want to go somewhere down south where the weather is a little bit warmer. And I'm like, screw it. Give me the cold. Give me Fenway. I want to go watch it. That's right. Um, with the uncomfortable seats that were built for people in the 1920s 
that, you know, were five foot seven, 160 pounds as your average guy. Um, so we, for those so we go from me, what the camping world bowl to the Fenway bowl. <laughs> yes. And for those that know me, I am not five, seven, 160 pounds. I am quite a bit larger than that. So those seats are not comfortable for me. And I still say, bring on Fenway, but We'll see if they're able to get to that point. But before we get into breaking down Syracuse-Pittsburgh, and we will break down Syracuse-Pittsburgh, we will break down what the Panthers bring to the table, um, where they have some weaknesses and vulnerabilities, all of the multiple strengths that they have and why they're a top 20 team this year. We will get to all of that and how Syracuse will match up with it. But before we can get to that, we have to address something that happened on Tuesday. When the Doak Walker Award, which is given annually to the nation's best running back, trimmed their list of 10 semifinalists down to three finalists. And of course, they included one Kenneth Walker, who has led the nation in rushing for most of the season. He is currently number two and has been probably the running back who had the best shot at making a run at the Heisman this season for Michigan State. And they included two other players. Absent I from guess, those two other players. I was like, can I guess who's not on that list, Mike? Is Sean Tucker is not on that list. And hmm. I'm going to read a couple of statistics here. Oh, I'm ready the for two, this one. The two players that were on the list were Brees Hall from Iowa State and Tyler Batty from Missouri. So before we get into the, well, Syracuse's lack of on the field or, la- or their record we'll say at five and six is what cost Sean Tucker a spot as a finalist. Both Iowa state and Missouri are six and five. There's a one game difference. So obviously that was not a huge factor here, but just look at the rushing numbers. Sean Tucker has 1,467 yards rushing. He's averaging 6.3 yards per carry. He has 12 rushing touchdowns. Now look at Tyler Batty, 1,385 rushing yards. So about 82 yards short of Sean Tucker, 6.1 yards per carry, less than Sean Tucker, 13 rushing touchdowns. So he has one more rushing touchdown than Sean Tucker, but he is trailing in the other two by a somewhat significant amount. Brees Hall, 1,230 yards. So he's 237 yards of Sean Tucker, 5.2 yards a carry, more than a full yard short of Sean Tucker, 17 rushing touchdowns. He certainly has a a five-touchdown advantage on Sean Tucker there. But given how substantially lower he is in rushing yards and rushing average, I think Sean Tucker's absence on this list, when you could make the argument that he's been the nation's best running back or at least one of the two best running backs in college football all season, I think is a little bit of a slap in the face to Sean Tucker. Uh, I don't fully get this unless they are putting such a huge premium on touchdowns that it surpasses everything else. However, when you look at the national list, if you think that that's what they did, you look at a guy like Tyler Algier from BYU. He has more yards and more touchdowns than Brees Hall does. And yet he didn't make the list. So unless they're doing some sort of I test and saying, you know, Brees Hall and Tyler Batty just look like better running backs than Sean Tucker for some reason. I don't understand the logic here. Um, you know, Tucker is Tucker has 220 more scrimmage yards than Brees Hall does. Um, you know, the touchdowns when you compare his Batty total touchdowns when you take in receiving touchdowns into account, it's 17 to 14, so it's still pretty close there. This to me was was a bit of uh, a disservice and disrespect to what Sean Tucker has done this season. See, Mike, you said that you don't see the logic there, implying that there was logic in the first place. That's right. And for fans who don't know, awards are stupid. When you win them, they're great. When you're not or there's something wrong, they're rigged. In all honesty, they are rigged. We all know they are. I mean – the fact that you put it down to 10 running backs midway through the season, 10 running backs midway through the season, and then three before the last game of the season, you're leaving out a guy who currently is leading the nation in rushing in Lou Nichols, who wasn't on the semifinalist list and wasn't on this finalist list, obviously, who currently is leading the nation in rushing as a true freshman, 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns. 
you disregard him entirely, essentially, from possibly getting in this list. So I have a, a before I rant, I don't want to rant. You already got the, the points I was going to make out about Sean Tucker being the best running back in the nation, him and Kenneth Walker the entire season. You got that part out for me, which is awesome. They should, this should be changed. This should be completely changed to 20 players halfway through the season. And then throughout the next half of the season, they basically update it weekly with who's a top 20 rusher. They kind of keep those ones in. And then after the season ends, so after the last game of the season, before the title games and bowl games, they then list their top three or top five. At that point, you do it. You say, okay, the title games and bowl games are kind of separate. We will do people who have made it through the season as the best rushers. We'll do it with this list. That, in my opinion, and tell me if I'm wrong, makes some sense, which is shocking to say because it feels like the college football committee had a say in this based on how poorly they judged this. Um, if you were that way, it means guys like Lou Nichols can probably get in here and you'd see Sean Tucker in this list. There's no way he shouldn't be in this list. I mean, he is the second best rusher in the nation. I'll give Kenneth Walker number one. He's been the best all year. He's got uh, five more touchdowns than Sean Tucker, give or take the same number of yards. So I'll give it to Kenneth Walker. Sean Tucker should be here. I don't get how he's not again. If they put an emphasis on yards, sure. Then Sean Tucker's third behind Walker and Nichols. If they put an emphasis in touchdowns, okay. He's one behind Batty and almost 100 yards ahead of him. And he's five behind Hall, but also 200 yards ahead of him. That I want to know where their formula was for figuring this out. Because as you said, Hall is behind uh, BYU's Algier in rushing yards and touchdowns. So they gave it to Hall which doesn't make sense. If you're going by power five conference, Sean Tucker's a power five running back. I don't get the, where, what impossible logic there was in this list. I don't understand where they got these numbers from. I don't understand why they picked who they did. This list should be Kenneth Walker, Sean Tucker, and name that running back a number three. It shouldn't even be a three person list. It should be a top five. That's what it should be. Everything's a top five or top 10. It should be a five or 10, not a three. I get it. Bronze, silver, gold. That makes sense. But also, it's stupid. It's dumb. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. I, I don't here's, get I don't get here, any of this. Here's the other part of this that 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 is uh, a disservice to those who are uh, you know vying for this award. What if Sean Tucker in the regular season finale runs for 250 yards and four touchdowns? Again, that would be a monster game. But right. So now he could end up leading the nation in rushing. He was a semifinalist for you. He could end up being right there within one or two touchdowns of all of the other guys. So you could have a power five guy who was a semifinalist for the best running back in the nation who ends up leading the nation in rushing has a 200 plus yard multi-touchdown game against a top 20 team who is the favorite to win the conference. And yet he's not even a finalist it makes all because no you decide to release your finalist a week before the season ends. You can't release it next week. Your awards it's, aren't until December 9th. This is the, wackiest. you don't need to do it right, right now. It's, it's dumb. I mean, we can, we can debate, well, I put a higher priority on touchdowns over yards or, or whatever. And, and, you know, we can have that discussion and we can think that it's Sean Tucker. And of course, you know, we watch Sean Tucker more than the other guys. So there's a little bit of bias built into that in, in terms of our opinion. But regardless, it's dumb to release your finalists and they do it for all the awards. But with one saying, we're season gonna, left, we're discuss two more awards later is the scariest thing. <laughs> right. And, and they do it for all these awards. And like Michigan and Ohio State play the last week of the season. In what is basically a play-in game for the playoff. And what if Ohio State had has two ridiculously talented wide receivers, right? That are probably going to both end up going in the first Olave round. Olave and Wilson are first right. round picks. Yeah. And neither of them are 
in the Bolitnikoff award finalist list. What if one of them has 250 yards and three touchdowns and in against Michigan and that propels them to the college football playoff. Now he's all of a sudden not a finalist. I mean, it's that's, that's part of the problem with doing it a week early is you leave off the chance for these, you know, historic transformational um, they call it the Heisman moment, right? When, when you're looking at the Heisman trophy is who has the Heisman moment. Usually that's a really good player having like a conference championship type of a moment or something um, in a big game towards the middle to end of the season. Yeah. Well, you prevent that moment from happening for all these other awards too. What if Sean Tucker had the Doak Walker award moment with a huge monster game against Pittsburgh? What if he runs us into a bowl game? Right. Like, what that if, could happen. Right. I mean, he could, again, this to happen, but it's still potentially possible. And that's why you don't do it a week early because you want all of the data. He could rush for, the single the single game NCAA rushing record, 380 yards or whatever it is. 427 is held by Samaj P. Ryan, I believe. I've mentioned so it he, at least twice in this podcast. He could run for 428, right? Again, nobody expects that to happen, but he could in theory, it's possible. So if he runs, then imagine that scenario. Sean Tucker runs for 428 yards, sets the single game NCAA record. He is now your NCAA's leading rusher for the season. And he was a semifinalist for you. He didn't just blow up at the end of the year after you had already trimmed your list as the issue with Lou Nichols, why he's not included in this, which goes to your point of keeping your list expanded for a longer period of time. But you don't have that issue where the season ended. So anyway, I, I just thought that was a towards Sean Tucker and thought it deserved some mention. But we'll we'll get into Pittsburgh here. Because that is what you guys all really came to listen to was oh, yeah. how awesome Pittsburgh is. And we'll start by taking a look at what their season has looked like so far. They started off blowing out UMass 51 to 7, expected. Then week two, they challenged themselves and went to play at Tennessee. And Tennessee this year in the SEC is not a great team, but they're six and five. They're a decent team. They've been competitive with some of the better teams. In the SEC, they played Alabama pretty tough. They played Georgia pretty tough for a little while, um, even though they ended up losing by multiple scores in those games. But they've been okay. They played uh, Ole Miss, who's a top 10 team right now. They played them to a, to a one-score game. And uh, Pitt went into Tennessee and won that game, 41-34. to Then week three, Western Michigan and former Syracuse offensive coordinator Tim Lester leading the Western Michigan Broncos into Pittsburgh and pulled off the upset with a 44 to 41 win over the Panthers. Pittsburgh rebounded by playing UNH and winning 77 to seven in their game against the token FCS program on their schedule, then blew out Georgia tech at Georgia tech, 52 to 21 blew up, blew out uh, Virginia tech at Virginia tech, 28 to seven, Beat Clemson at home 27 to 17. It was the most points that Clemson has given up um, in regulation this season. They lost to Miami a little bit surprisingly, 38 to 34 at home, because Miami came into that game with a losing record. But that, that was kind of the, for those that have been following Miami, the Tyler Van Dyke announcing himself to the world game where he threw for 400 yards and three touchdowns. Um, and Miami has been playing very good on the offensive side of the ball ever since that game. Pittsburgh rebounded by blowing out Duke at Duke. Everyone pretty much blows out Duke when they play them this year. Um, Duke has had just a, a terrible season. They're the only team in the ACC without a conference win, 0-7 in conference play. Uh, too bad Syracuse couldn't have had them on the schedule instead of one of these other teams like a Louisville or an NC State, but that, that, that's life. And then Pittsburgh beat North Carolina 30 to 23 in overtime in, in a close game. And then last week beat Virginia 48 to 38 to clinch the coastal division championship. So they will be in the ACC championship game against an opponent that is still to be determined. It could be Clemson. It could be Wake Forest. It could be NC state. One of those three, but, um, yeah, Pittsburgh's had a really good year. They're sitting at nine and two. They're 17th in, in the college football playoff poll. 
and um, it's the the highest ranked team in the ACC and the highest ranked team that uh, Syracuse has played this season. So that's where Pittsburgh is. One of the keys to their strong performance this season. And I know that Kenny Pickett and the offense gets a lot of the, a lot of the pub, but defensively they've been pretty darn good this year too. They are number one in the ACC in rushing defense. It's the second week in a row that Syracuse has played the number one rushing defense in the ACC last week. It was NC State, but because Syracuse ran for 170 yards, that actually bumped NC State down to third in rushing defense in the conference. Clemson jumped above them. Pitt averages or gives up only 98.1 yards per game and only three yards per carry. That seems 98.8 yards per game, I should say. Only three yards per carry. That seems ominous right it seems like which scares seems seems it looks like on paper this is another team that they're going to stack the box and take away sean tucker and try to force garrett schrader to beat them through the air and of course that's going to be the game plan kyle and i could be going to play syracuse this week and that's what our game plan would be that's what every plan is going to be we know that but the 98.8 yards per game and 3.0 yards per carry is a bit misleading. And the reason is, as we seem to mention every week, college football, for some odd reason, includes sacks in opponents' rushing numbers. Meaning, if you sack a team 41 times for 308 yards, as Pittsburgh's defense has done to their opponents, those 308 yards come out of opponents rushing totals and the 41 sacks count as rushing attempts. That means that is going to drastically reduce yards per carry. Pittsburgh, if you take out those sacks, they are giving up about 120 to 130 rushing yards per game and 4.3 yards per carry. That's kind of the big number that I look at 4.3 yards per carry. So that still means that they're a good run defense, but they are not a oh my God, how do you run the ball against this team type of a defense? So I I think there's some opportunity here for Syracuse to have some success. There is some opportunity here. And as you said, they mainly get a lot of their help from their their pass rush because their pass rush is very, very good. I believe they are second in the nation in sacks this season. That's correct. They're ahead of of Georgia and Alabama. They're ahead of Georgia and Bama. They are number two in the nation in sacks. They are above us, obviously. They are a very elite pass rush, uh, which is the biggest thing, which means they know how to get penetration. They know how to stop it. So their run defense is really good. We do have to remember that. But the pass rush is better than their run defense is. It helps. It help, One helps the other. The other doesn't help the other one. It's very strange and statistically why it works the way it does. But there is a opportunity for Syracuse to beat them, as you said, running the ball. That the reason this matchup scares me is because if we attempt to pass the ball like we have the last three weeks with a, uh, I don't know if I'd say below par or below, below, below par quarterback. I don't know yeah, how I far down that chain you got to go. I say subpar because then the sub can be as low as you want it to go. So say subpar yes. and it's all encompassing. The the subpar quarterback play of Garrett Schrader throwing, I believe, approximately 58 or so yards per game. Um, I If that is the case and we try passing the ball 20 times a game, I'm going to say it. We're going to lose close to Louisville levels 41 to three it's it would be there um and that is what happens if Dino Babers decides to keep the same game plan we've used and give Sean Tucker the ball 13 times if I was Sean Tucker and if I was Dino Babers what I would say is and I'll say as nicely as possible screw the committee let's give Sean Tucker the ball 30 times let him break every record possible and have fun doing it I'm going to do you one better Okay, not 30 carries, not 30 carries, not 40 carries, 50, 44 carries. I like that. I like your 44 is is a number that I've I've heard around the bend has some significance at Syracuse. I'm still trying to get trying to get to the bottom of that a little bit. But um, 
Yeah, 44 carries. I mean, if listen, if if you have 60 snaps on offense, 60 to 70 snaps, I mean, give two thirds of them to, to Sean Tucker. I mean, that's that's if, you know what? if anything that we said in the last episode surrounding Garrett Schrader and whether or not he is hurt. And, and if you haven't listened to that episode, we discussed Garrett Schrader, whether or not he's been hurt since the Virginia game how his numbers, his passing numbers went from 184 yards a game down to 58 yards per game um, in the games leading up to and including the Virginia game versus the three games since the Virginia game. If he really is dealing with some sort of ailment that is causing his inaccuracy issues to be even worse than what they are when he's healthy, then that's even bigger reason to rely on Sean Tucker. Now here's a couple of things that to note about Pittsburgh's, you know, we're talking about how good their run defense is, their pass rush and all these things, a couple of players that, that you should know one Brandon Hill. He is the team's leading tackler with 72 tackles. He is going to miss the first half of the game against Syracuse. He was called for targeting last week's game against Virginia in the second half. And because the targeting penalty happened in the second half, that means he has to miss the first half of the next game. So Brandon Hill will be out for the first half of this game. Um, the other name to know is Servasier Dennis. He is the other playmaking linebacker for Pittsburgh. He has one interception, uh, two sacks, seven tackles for loss. He is blocked to kick. He has multiple quarterback hurries. He is fast. He is athletic. If that name sounds familiar to some Syracuse fans that live in central New York, it's because he played at CBA in Syracuse. He was a running back, quarterback, wide receiver, linebacker, safety, corner, everything for them. He was one of those guys that didn't get recruited because people couldn't figure out where to play. Pittsburgh figured it out. He's a really good linebacker. And especially with Hill out for that first half, Servasier Dennis and his speed and athleticism is going to come into play here in terms of stopping the running game. And then the other player that I will mention is defensive lineman Habakkuk Baldonado. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. I believe you did. I believe you did. He leads the team with eight sacks. He's got 10 and a half tackles for loss. Um, they've got a couple other guys in Kalijah Cansey and John Morgan who have six and a half and five and a half sacks um, respectively. But Baldonado is the guy that leads the team in sacks. He's the best pass rusher. He also is second on the team in quarterback hurries. He is also forced to fumble. He's he's a really good player and Syracuse is definitely going to have to make sure that, that they know where he is uh, when they do drop back to pass so that they can protect Garrett Schrader. They, they do need to do that. And if I am them, I try to avoid the pass at all costs in this game. I know that sounds dumb, and it's basically what I've been saying with running the ball, but this is a team that will hurt you in the pass game. I mean, they've got players across the board everywhere. As I said, fast linebackers, a great pass rush. They can cover everybody. We do not have a team to beat them in the air. It is just not possible with us. I mean, we saw it last week and the week before that and the week before that. Passing again for what most at what 65, 68 yards in those games. Like we don't have the ability to beat them. I love Queeley. I love Cooper. I love Alford. They would need to have a wildly good game to do anything in the air. And Schrader would need to make passes. And we haven't seen him do that in recent weeks. If we pass the ball, this defense with Balzanato, with Denise, when Hill comes back, they are going to demolish us. That if we get down early, as we've seen, Dino abandons the run for whatever reason, and we lose games. And that is what's going to happen here. If we abandon the run, if we're down this game, which we will go down at some point, it's going to happen because they're number 17 in the nation. We can't just rely on the pass because they're going to beat us. It's it's not even a question of, oh, we have a chance. No, I, I'm, I, I'll be the pessimist. We have no chance to beat them with our pass. Unless Schrader becomes prime Peyton Manning all of a sudden, or Donovan McNabb for our excuse fans, like it would become Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison to have to beat this team. That's what you need right now. You need the prime SU quarterback receiver tandem to get anywhere close to beating them in pass game. 
And as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I love the Donovan McNabb reference, of course. Uh, just a couple of numbers on Pitt's passing defense. They are third worst in the ACC, giving up 265 yards per game. That is where when success, despite the fact that Pitt's pass rush is one of the best in the conference, uh, teams have still thrown the ball well against against Pittsburgh. That, doesn't matter said, if your quarterback can't throw the ball. Doesn't that's matter. exactly the point. That's exactly where I was going next is it doesn't matter if you can't throw the ball. So even though Pittsburgh's defense is vulnerable against the pass and that's where teams have had success, that's not how Syracuse is winning this game. They are going to win the game by running the ball and controlling the line of scrimmage. Uh, but offensively, this is where Pitt has the buzz, the hype, et cetera, about how good of a team this is. The defense has some strong points to it. They have some good players. There's no doubt, but if Syracuse is going to win this game, they're probably going to have to have their best defensive game of the season because Kenny Pickett is the, who's the quarterback for Pittsburgh. He is a legitimate Heisman candidate. He has been as good as it gets in the ACC at the quarterback position. Um, he is second in the conference in passing yards. He is number one in the conference in touchdowns, despite the fact that he's number one in um, touchdowns. He has only thrown six interceptions on the season. He is number two in the ACC in completion percentage behind Gunnar Holmberg from Duke, who is despite that he's got seven touchdown passes on the season and seven interceptions. So obviously Kenny there, um, but you know, as, as good as Kenny Pickett is, and we know that he is, He's not a, a huge runner. Um, he's not someone they're going to call design runs for a ton, uh, but he can move the ball a little bit. He can move in the pocket to avoid some rushes to some pass rushes. And he can, you know, you give him a lane. He can certainly run the ball and, and, you know, pick up a first down, but the passing attack is not as good as it is just because of Kenny Pickett. They've got a legitimate wide receiver threat, Kyle, that, that Syracuse has to pay attention to. Yes. And we're going back to award discussion. They have Jordan Addison, a six foot sophomore, uh, for them, who has 74 catches for 1272 yards, 15 touchdowns, a long of 67. And going back to the awards, Mike, he is a Valetnikoff finalist alongside, I believe, Jamison Williams and David Bell from Purdue, uh, Williams from Alabama. So he is a legitimate wide receiver. This is going to be the test of the century for uh, Williams and for Deuce Chestnut. This guy is a number one. This is a very possible NFL draft pick guy when he comes out in a year or two. He He's scary. And I know Williams has gone up against the likes of uh, Justin Ross when he played. We had him and Chestnut go up against him. We've seen Roberson, who I believe is also a Blatnikoff semifinalist uh, for Wake Forest. We've had some good guys come through here we've played, but this guy is legitimately one of the best in the nation. He is as stated, a top three receiver this season in the nation. I'd probably say top five, Chuck Olave and Wilson in there from obviously who he said, but whatever. He's top three per whatever uh, powers that be made this list. Um, we need to have, as you said, our best performance defensively. Williams or Chestnut, whoever gets the assignment, I'm guessing it'll be one of them, needs to lock him down, throw him in jail, uh, like tie him around, give him one of the straight jackets. Like you need to do everything to stop this guy because he is Pickett's number one target. And it's not even close. The next best is uh wide receiver, Jared Wayne with 41 receptions for 600 yards. That's pales in comparison to Addison this season. It's, it's, half. Is, it's literally half the production. It is half the production. Addison is averaging 17 yards a catch. That is nearly two first downs every catch. Take that into consideration right there. And and just for some context on his numbers, um, not only does Jordan Addison lead the ACC in receiving yards and in receiving touchdowns, he is second in the ACC in, in receptions. He is fourth in the country in receiving yards, and he is number one in the country in receiving touchdowns. So Syracuse has to know where he is at all times. I would have Garrett Williams follow him 
everywhere he goes around the formation, you know, they're going to try to move him and get some advantageous um, matchups in, in terms of, you know, trying to get him on a linebacker, get him on a safety or one of Syracuse, you know, Syracuse's nickel corner, um, whatever the case is. If I'm Syracuse, I'm basically telling Garrett Williams, you are man to man on Jordan Addison the entire game. I also would personally make sure you put a safety over top just to be safe. Wouldn't hurt. Right. Wouldn't, so wouldn't if, hurt it, us. Regardless of what you're doing with the rest of your coverage, right? So if you're, you know, if you're in a cover two or you're in, you know, a, a zone or whatever, um, I'm telling Garrett Williams, you are man on Jordan Addison all game. I don't care what else we call and everyone else's coverage can be dictated, you know, accordingly from there. So prove to everybody why you are going to be a draft pick in the NFL draft soon. Prove to them right. why you're a first round pick. Do that. And now. Garrett Garrett Williams has had a good season, but he's he has not had it's... an elite season. Um, he doesn't have the interception numbers, has had a couple of games where he's given up a couple of big plays. Um, but you have a shutdown game against Jordan Addison that can change the narrative of the entire season. Um, from Garrett's perspective, if he's looking at trying to come out after this season, I think right now his stock has dropped enough that he might actually be benefit. It might be beneficial to him to come back for another year, which would be but, wild to have him induce next year together. Know, again. That'd be, be wild. Unbelievable for, for Syracuse if, if they were able to, to get that. Um, but if, if you're Garrett Williams and you want to change that and you really were thinking you were going to come out after this season, a huge game against Jordan Addison would, would go a long way towards uh, getting your stock back up there on the rushing side of things. Pittsburgh kind of resembles at least statistically the team that Syracuse just played in NC state in that it's not just one guy that's going to beat you. They've got, um, they've got a committee approach. Their top two guys, Israel Abanaconda and Vincent Davis, have very similar numbers in terms of um, yards, carries. Abanaconda has about a yard advantage on average on yards per carry, similar number of touchdowns. Those are the two guys to, to really pay attention to. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, he's probably going to run the ball five to six times during the game. He averages, uh, I believe, Kyle, you said in, in our um, Give or take six yards ish a carry. Six yard when you back out the sacks, which again, um, it, dumb. You have to do that, but right, right. It's it's dumb to have a statistic on passing plays impact your rushing statistics. College dumb. football for you. College That's, football, right there. That, right. I know. I mean these these are the same people that thought the BCS formula was a good idea. So these people um, that also think Sean Tucker's not a top three running back in the nation. <laughs> but who am I to judge? <laughs> Right. Um, and the same team that if Alabama had six losses would still put them in the college football playoff and is still seriously considering putting Notre Dame in the playoff, despite the fact that Cincinnati, who remains undefeated, won at Notre Dame earlier this season and Notre Dame has a loss. But that's whatever. Whatever. That's that's what that's college football. It's it's the NCAA. You can't expect logic. But regardless, those three plus also Rodney Hammond, their third running back are they have four rushing threats, realistically. Correct. So it's going to be a committee approach similar to what Syracuse saw against NC State last week. And Syracuse did a pretty good job um, on NC State's rushing attack for the most part in that game, uh, kept them under control around, you know, two to three yards carry and kept them under 100 yards as a team. So, um, you know, Syracuse has a similar a similar performance against Pittsburgh in terms of their run defense. I think that would be very beneficial to Syracuse. Um, just as, as a note on Rodney Hammond. Yes, he's the third running back, but last week against Virginia, he had 15 carries, uh, but his long on the season's 25 yards. He's, he's not someone that's had a lot of uh, very, uh, a lot of chunk gains, but he's still average, despite the fact that he's only got, you know, a couple of runs over 20 yards on the season. He's still averaging over five yards carry and has five rushing touchdowns. So he's someone consistency. Exactly. You know, he's going to get you 45, four to five yards of carry. Uh, not going to be a threat to break it out, but still someone that, uh, that you need to be aware of. So that's Pittsburgh on offense. Let's get to their special teams. And I'm as always going to turn over to my guy, Kyle, because he is the kicker punter specialist. Yes. Special teams is where I make my living. Uh, firstly, their punter. Um, Kirk, I want, I want to say what his last name is, but I'm currently blanking on it. Um, 
if I can quickly find him, it is Kirk uh, Chrisadolu. Uh, he is as average a punter as you will find in the NCAA. 41 and a half yards a punt. Uh, or it's it's basically what you see out of a gen- generic punter in college football if they're average. That's what you're getting. So nothing scary there. Uh, no huge leg. None of that. Uh, he is not, for those wondering at home, Matt Ariaza from uh, San Diego State who is hitting 70-yard bombs every play. Not that. Uh, so we're, we're safe there, but their kicker, um, if I can pull him back up, his name is Sam Scarton. Scam, Sam Scarton. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Sam Scarton is 56, 59 on extra points. So he makes them 95% of the time. He's going to make them. He is 15 for 18 on field goals this season. So he's pretty good hitting him an 83% clip. He's missed one from between 30, 39, one between 40, 49, and his one 50 yard attempt he missed. So he's a very consistent kicker. He is going to hit everything. They also have a guy, Sauls, who has kicked four times, but those were both in blowout games where uh, Scarton also kicked. So they got him some reps. Doesn't matter. But the kicker is going to make kicks. The punter is going to put them in position where they need to be punt-wise. It's, it's as consistent a unit as you will find in the NCAA in terms of kickers and punters. This is a game where we need to see our guys step up. And we said it last episode, just one day ago, Ian Hawkins for us last week, punting the ball, the freshman stepped up big time, had himself a 40 uh, yard average game, which is what we need him to do because last week uh, he did not fare so well and averaged, I believe it was 29 and a half yards. So if he can do what he did last time, 40 plus yards per attempt, that is good. Maybe hit a few bombs in there. I would prefer, though, we just don't see him at all this game and we score every drive. But if we see him, a few good punts would be nice. And I hope Andre Schmidt also can start hitting some field goals. He has hit a few recently, but he is still sitting nine for 14 on the year, which for those wondering at home is 64%. Uh, made his last has, two. Yeah. He's made his last two, but he is three for seven on 40 plus yard attempts, which if it comes down to it late in game, does make me nervous. Uh, a kicker who, if he makes one more from that range, is 50%. It's a coin toss on that distance. I don't trust it. Um, so we have to hope that he comes in clutch when we need him to. But Schmidt and Hawkins have to have good games to keep pace uh, with Pitt's uh, duo out there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just for the record, the name Sam Scarton sounds like a name that Michael Scott from The Office would make up. I'm just, it I'm does. just saying it, does. It's, it sounds like, you know, if he was making a movie about a football team, that would be the, the star of his, of his uh, movie there. But a um, couple of notes on Pittsburgh as kick returners and punt returners, uh, Jordan Addison, the ridiculously talented and productive wide receiver is also the primary punt returner is one right. of their yeah. three primary punt returners, um, him along with Jalen Barden and, um, Mel Stovall. They've got three guys that have at least seven punt returns um, on the season. So interesting that they throw all three of those guys back there. Uh, they might not throw Jordan Addison back there in this game just because, you know, the game is, I don't want to say meaningless, but it doesn't mean as much because they've already clinched the coastal. So perhaps they decided to go a different direction, but those, none of those guys have um, a touchdown on the season. A couple of them have had 30 plus yard punt returns. So they've got some good punt returns, a couple of good averages, you know, 10 yards, 15 yards, 16 yards, but um, you know, the, something to keep an eye on a little bit. And then from a kick return standpoint, again, they've got four guys that have returned kicks this season. looks like Jalen Barden and Israel Abanaconda, their starting running back um, are the two main threats. And Abanaconda has an 98 yard touchdown to his name this season. So uh, need to be on point with your kick and punt coverages as well. But before we get into the Dino factor in this game, I want to talk just briefly about the psychological factor of this game, the mental approach to this game. We know that a bowl game is on the line for Syracuse. So we know that they're going to come in desperate they're going to give everything they got because if they don't win the season's over and there's a lot of, you know, the super seniors as Dino calls them on this team, there's a handful, five or six of them that if they want to keep playing college football, they've got to win this game. So they get one more opportunity to do so. Otherwise 
their football career, at least at the college level, is going to be over. And I don't think a lot of those guys have, uh, you know, they, they obviously have NFL aspirations, but I don't know that any of them are expected to be drafted. So, you know, it's a long road towards carving out a professional career. Obviously, Syracuse is going to come out with energy and effort, and they're going to play desperate. But Pittsburgh, on the flip side, the clinch the this game only means something from a trying to get to 10 wins. I think for, you know, they've only done it so many times in program history, had a 10 win regular season. So it's like, Oh, let's try to do that. Um, You know, you want to have Kenny Pickett put up some numbers to see if he can further his Heisman candidacy. Obviously a big game from Jordan Addison would help solidify his position with the Bolitnikoff award, but there's nothing from a team perspective that it's, we have to win because this is at stake. There's, there's not. It doesn't um, do anything to win this game for them outside. Not, of not really. Numbers and possibly if they are to lose against whoever it is in the uh, title game, it would mean they possibly have a chance at a getting a bigger game regardless of if they lose. But it's they would prefer to win the ACC title game in the end. Uh, if I'm, I'm expecting if this game is possibly a big margin, either a victory or a loss near the end of the game, they're pulling all their starters. I would assume that will happen towards the end of the game that I assume we won't see Pickett in the fourth quarter. I assume we won't see uh, Hammond, uh, Abanaconda, all of them near the end of that game. We'll see the backups come in because they're going to want to keep them healthy. Yeah. And it would be interesting if, you know, it's a, let's say 27, 24 Pittsburgh lead going into the fourth quarter. Do they pull some of those guys at that point? I mean, Maybe. you know, it, it, it would be, it would be interesting to see, but um, so could you get Pittsburgh? That's not at their sharpest mentally because of that. And it, it would be kind of human nature for that to happen. So I think the psychological factor probably benefits Syracuse a little bit in this game. Um, and could end up uh, being something that, that ends up playing a big role in it. Uh, you know, when, when all is said and done, but the last thing before we get to our predictions is the Dino factor. You know, Babers and where his standing is as the head coach of the program has been discussed at length all season, especially when Syracuse lost those three, four games in a row, all by a field goal games where it felt like Syracuse was the better team and a couple of coaching decisions could have been the difference um, in whether or not Syracuse won that game. And then with two blowout losses here at the end of the season, there was a percentage of the fan base that thought Dino was not the guy coming into the season. Nothing has happened that's changed their mind. There is a percentage of the fan base that I think is kind of on the fence. And there's a percentage of the fan base that is in Dino's corner almost regardless. And again, nothing that's happened to date this season has changed any of their minds. Those that are on the fence, you've got a chance to change their mind with a win, I think. Those that are of the Dino is not the guy no matter what mindset, at a minimum, you keep them quiet. You beat a top 20 team that's your rival in the last game of the season to reach bowl eligibility. That's going to quiet those that think you should be gone regardless. You could push some that are on the fence over to your side. And everyone that's been on your side is going to say, see, I told you. It's all good. So what, what's the other layer to this is, and then I'll, I'll go to Kyle for his thoughts, is the Sean Tucker factor in Dino Babers, the decision on whether or not to retain Dino Babers for 2022 and beyond. Sean Tucker said during Tuesday's media availability that he plans on coming back for next season. Um, he said he his exact quote was, I strongly believe a lot that I will be back next season, that he's going to go home after the season is over, talk to his parents, and then finalize that decision. So then he was asked for some clarification. Well, could anything change your mind? And what came out of that was that that line of questioning was that the thing that could change his mind is Dino Babers being fired. So if you want Dino gone, that probably means you're losing a generational talent at running back at the same time. So I think 
if you're looking at whether or not Dino should come back for another year, you have to take into account that do you bring him back along with Schrader and and you know eight starters on offense and nine eight nine starters on offense and eight starters on defense and say we think we can take another step forward with more experience and some development, et cetera, along with Sean Tucker as, as the face of the program, or are you so against Dino being the guy that you're willing to also allow Sean Tucker to go or praying in the back of your mind that whoever the new guy is, will be able to convince him to stay. So that's kind of the balancing act here. I think that, that you're doing if you're evaluating whether or not Dino should, should, should stay. This is a tough balancing act to do for that reason. I sometimes always wonder what would happen if a lot of these guys who are transferring didn't transfer in the end, that if Taj Harris didn't leave for, I believe, Kentucky, or if we didn't see, I believe now Ken Arku is transferring or even DeVito, if he stays, like what would happen if a lot of these guys ended up staying uh, and next year we run it back with a few less of these seniors. I know Josh Black and Elmore are back for next season, I believe, which is love to see it. Elmore I mean, is black as not. Elmore is black as not, which is sad. We love Josh Black. He'll be a part of our fan base, though. Don't you worry. Absolutely. Um, but seeing Elmore back and all these guys come back, what would happen if we were to stay, keep them all here, and run it back with this unit next year? I mean, Sean Tucker would be as good as he always is. You'd be healthy. You'd have Deuce Chestnut would be now two years in. He would be a better cornerback. You would have Garrett Williams playing for the NFL. Like everything would be put in your favor at that point. And I wonder if Dino's, if that's going to play into if they want to keep Dino is because this team is a weird team where they're only only losing a few guys here or there. A lot of the core is going to be here still. If they say, we'll give him one more shot and bring him back. And again, as you said, with the three losses in a row, if we assume those losses are wins, if we turn the uh, Wake Forest, Florida State and Clemson games into wins, we are looking at a team that was eight and one and then going into Louisville and NC State games, eight and one, lose those are eight and three. At that point, you're in a bowl game shot at the AC title game. That is a completely different like storyline. But because of those losses, and because of the manner they happen in last second field goals and the number of mistakes that have gone on Dino's head that they're putting, people are putting multiple spikes down on Dino because of mistakes he has made. And we do have to acknowledge he's made the mistakes. I mean, he's made mistakes of calling for fourth, fourth down plays. He's made mistakes for field goals when he shouldn't have. It's, it's tough to go either way, as you said, that there's a, a majority of this fan base is stuck in the middle of I don't know what to do. And I think that's where we both are. I personally am in the boat of, I would let Dino run it back under the condition that he knows that if he does not at least make a bowl game next year, he's out because with this unit, he should have made a bowl game. I think that can be abundantly clear. And unless we blow out pit, we're not going to. Um, And you tell him you come back, this is your, Quote unquote, last year, this is your last dance. You got to win a bowl game. You got to get to a bowl game and win the bowl game realistically, uh, or you are gone because this unit, assuming everyone else stays, and expecting we get no Sean Tucker, Schrader, anyone else doesn't transfer, and that the rest of the unit stays after Kanarku leaves. We get the next round of recruits in. I know Don Foster's coming in early. Guys like him, we get all of them in alongside Tucker, Chestnut Williams, all these guys. You run it back and say, this is your last shot. There is legitimate NFL talent here with Tucker, with Williams, Mikel Jones, Deuce Chestnut, legitimate NFL talent. You say, if you don't win now, you're gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm on board with, with bringing him back. And uh, personally, I, there are a lot of jobs that are better than Syracuse, quite frankly, open. And so Syracuse is not going to be in a position to get, you know, they're not going to be the number one attractive job opening basically in any year anyway. So now you add into the fact that you've got schools like LSU, USC, and some others, Virginia Tech, that are open. Um, you know, does Texas decide to move on after one year of of uh, of Sark with, with the fact that they're not making a bowl game and they lost to Kansas uh, for the first time in forever? 
there's, there's a lot of high profile jobs open. So do you wait a year and hope that if things don't work out, that the next off season would give you a better candidate list and a better opportunity to get a guy that you want. Um, and while also ensuring that Sean Tucker is wearing a Syracuse uniform next season, because it would be painful for Syracuse fans to watch Sean Tucker wearing like an Oklahoma uniform and getting, you know, all sorts of accolades, et cetera, next season. Um, even worse if it was somewhere in the ACC that he was doing that. Um, so I would be for bringing him back and, and running it back another year and seeing how things play out. I am also not a guy who is pro publicly calling out that a guy be fired. I just don't think that I should have the power to take away someone's job and, and, um, you know, uprooting someone's family and, and doing all of that. I don't think I should yield that much power. If I did yield that much power, there are certainly people other than football coaches that I would rather yield it upon. Um, that said, let's get to the good stuff, which is predictions. Kyle, we'll start with you. Who wins? And well, in terms of who wins, I'm going to be completely honest. As we said last episode, it's been a rough week for my sports teams. Uh, my Knicks, I believe, are currently beating uh, the Lakers 105 93 we're filming this so we are winning which is a positive but been a rough week for me in terms of sports um, with that being said I am going to stay on the rough side of sports I do not think we're going to win this game um, unless there is a miracle and unless Sean Tucker goes for 34 rushes for 428 yards and breaks Samaje P. Ryan's record unless that happens or Garrett Schrader throws for 300 yards which by all accounts, on the past few weeks, ain't going to happen anytime soon. I don't see how we win this game. It would take, as you've seen now, a miracle to win. It would take something historic. We are uh, plus 13 in the spread, which for those keeping track at home means we need to score two touchdowns to cover. Um, not great odds. Uh, it is a 58-point uh, over-under. Pitt this year is, you know, pretty, pretty good. They're scoring around 44 a game. Um, we are averaging as many points as we are letting up per game. So with all that being said, I am taking Pitt 32, Syracuse 28. I think we have a little bit of hope, and it is just shot down by Kenny Pickett. Interesting. Um, the other number I'll throw out at you is both teams are eight and three against the spread. So Vegas thinks that Syracuse is one of the best teams in the ACC in terms of that. Good so teams I win, they, great teams cover. They, oh, I know. They should be going bowling regardless, according to Vegas. Just saying. Um, and ESPN's matchup predictor gives Syracuse a 19.3% chance to win the game. Um, just for comparison's sake, they gave um, Syracuse, I believe in the 30% chance to beat Liberty earlier in the season. And we know that that went Syracuse's way, um, against Wake Forest. I think it was similar to the 19, 25% somewhere around there. Um, so the matchup predictor has not been a great predictor of, of the way things, um, will end up going, but, um, I'm, I'm in the, and, and, you know, that who, who knows how things are going to go. Right. But, um, Upsets happen all the time. There have certainly been much worse teams than what this Syracuse team is that have beaten much better teams than what this Pittsburgh team is. We've seen Appalachian State go into the big house and beat Michigan when Michigan was supposed to be a national championship contender. We've seen all sorts of upsets. I am not saying that this is on those levels because it's it's clearly not, but Syracuse plays better at home. I do think that the psychological factor of Syracuse being desperate and Pittsburgh um, not is going to play a factor here. So I am going to call for the upset Syracuse winning 34 to 31 in this game. Um, Garrett Schrader throws for a career high 450. No. All right. I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to wow, go. Wow. Go um, bold there. <laughs> right. Uh, but I do think Sean Tucker will have a good game. If, if uh, they 
go with the game plan of feeding him regardless of, you know, down a distance to some capacity. Second and long should still be a Sean Tucker down. Um, if he gets 25 plus carries in this game, I think Syracuse is going to be in it. I think defensively they'll make some plays. They'll be able to get after Kenny Pickett. I also think the fans, if you want to have an impact, those that want Syracuse to win this game, go to a bowl game. You want to show the super seniors that you're appreciative of their efforts within the program the last five, six years. If you want to show Sean Tucker why he should stick around, you go to this game because when it is loud in the dome, it is difficult for offenses to communicate. And you can make a difference on the timing and the rhythm of Pittsburgh's offense with your noise. So Syracuse's fans, the ones that do go to the game, they make a difference. It causes a turnover that feels like Syracuse hasn't gotten in a long time. And Syracuse pulls off the upset 34 to 31 on an Andre Schmidt field goal as time expires. That's I'm calling my shot. Bold call, calling your shot, but I respect it. And you know what? I hope your story does happen. I hope I hope that we do win on a last second field goal to realistically keep Dino's job and get us to a bowl game. I hope it happens. Right. Regardless of the people listening to this, I think I'm crazy for predicting that. I don't think anyone would be upset if it came to fruition. So we'll hope that I could be right on that prediction. That'll do it for episode 23 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. For Kyle F., I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.